Damian Lillard's agents are in complete control. What does it mean for the NBA? What does it mean for player loyalty? What does it mean for the Utah Jazz? That's all coming up next on today's edition of Locked on Jazz. You are Locked on Jazz, your daily podcast on the Utah Jazz. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. Hi, I'm David Locke, radio voice of the Utah Jazz, Jazz NBA insider, and this is Locked on Jazz. On today's edition of Locked on Jazz, the Dame Lillard trade talk. Can Utah actually get involved even if they want to? Maybe not. We'll touch on that. Point guards, point guards, and point guards. Are they dinosaurs, and are the Utah Jazz setting a new trend on that? Night one of Summer League impressions. Keontae George, a slow start, and then a fabulous finish. Plus, there's one guy where I just need to see the ball go in. We'll talk about all, excuse me, all of that coming up on today's edition of Lockdown Jazz. As I mentioned, I'm David Locke, radio voice of the Utah Jazz. Jazz NBA insider, this is Lockdown Jazz. It's your daily podcast on the Utah Jazz, giving you insight, expertise, geeky numbers, and hopefully making it way better to be a Jazz fan each and every day. Thank you so much for making Lockdown Jazz your first listen. And to the everydayers, Tip of the hat to you for being with us each and every day on this program. We are free and available on all podcasting apps or on YouTube as well. Great conversation taking place inside the YouTube community. So talking to various people around the league and listening to Lockdown Blazers and checking in with Mike Richmond, the phrase that I was given about the Goodwins, who are the agents for Dame Lillard, is that Damian Lillard's agents are in complete control of this process. And what that leads me to believe when you say they are in complete control is that they are literally picking up the phone and letting Minnesota know that while Carl Anthony Towns might be a nice package, Dame's not going to Minnesota. And letting Brooklyn know that while whatever you might be putting together might be nice, Dame's not coming to Brooklyn. And for all we know, that same phone call has been made to the Utah Jazz to say, you know what? Dame's not coming to Utah. And that Dame's going, the phrase complete control to me means that Dame's going one and one place only, and that's Miami. And they probably have about the 28th best package to offer to the Portland Trailblazers. This gets super interesting because... First of all, the league, I thought, had a rule against demanding trades. Like, that was something I thought the league had decided there was going to, like, find players for, was demanding a trade. The second thing that gets really interesting into this is what this does to the relationship between players and teams and the phrase loyalty. Like, there's this idea, which I think is a little laughable, that, like, somehow the Blazers owe Dame something. I mean, I think they've paid him, like, $200 million. So, it's... If anybody actually owes anybody something, I might argue that the 76ers owe James Harden something because he actually took a pay cut so they could put players on their team last year. But the truth is that part of the reason someone like Danny Ainge 
makes the deal on Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert when he did was they had no leverage. You wait another year with Donovan or where Cleveland's going to be, and Donovan says, oh, I'm either going to the Clippers or the Knicks. I've always believed Donovan's going to the Clippers. Then you suddenly don't have any trade market. And I think we're about to see the Portland Trailblazers. And I think this could really drag on. Because the only thing Portland can do is drag this on and hope that the complete control cracks. Or that Miami just cracks and unprotects their pick to Oklahoma City or does something more. But frankly, if you read the tea leaves of what's been going on, Miami doesn't get Gabe Vincent back. They don't get Max Struess back. Fair to say they might have known this was coming, right? Now, that would be illegal and tampering and all sorts of things. So certainly that didn't happen. But if you just look at the tea leaves of their moves, not re-signing Gabe Vincent, not re-signing Max Struzan, maybe they decided that those two undrafted players are equally replicable and that their system allows them to get players. Maybe, sure, reasonable. Maybe they also had an idea that maybe they were moving somebody into salary slots. Who knows? But the fact is that the way it sits right now, if what everyone is telling me around the league, that the agents are in, quote, complete control. In other words, Dame's going to Miami, regardless of what the package is for Portland. It has an impact. It has an impact. And the impact becomes when teams get off players is incredibly important. And you look back at, as I said, the Jazz on on Donovan and Rudy, and there's a real argument that you make the year, the move early, before they're prepared for it, before they can dictate it, and before they can suddenly have their impact on what's taking place. The other part of this, this idea that maybe... If Portland treats Dame right, it'll help their standing in the league. Eh. I just have always believed where the most money is is what will make agents move in their standing in the league. Certainly, if you get a reputation that you're damaging players or it's not a safe place to play or something of that sort, I can see a kickback by agents and players that they don't want to play for you. Until you offer them about $10 million more. And then they might get over that. Right? I mean, it really gets back to like, when we always talk about Utah as a free agent market. Utah's been a really good free agent market whenever they've offered more money than anybody else has offered. And a really bad free agent market whenever they've offered about the same as what anyone else has offered. Like, the re-signing of Jordan Clarkson's great. It's a great deal for the Jazz. The numbers are super. I'm guessing he couldn't have gotten more, right? He would have opted out and taken it, probably. Or maybe it was a really undesirable place, but generally they take more. When the Jazz signed Boyan, they offered him more than anyone else. When the Jazz signed Carlos Boozer, they offered him more than anyone else. When the Jazz signed Mehmet Okor, they offered him more than anyone else. That's how it works. So the whole idea that Portland needs to do this to make sure that the rest of the league you know, understands they have the respect for the players, Eh, till they have more money. And then the day they have more money, like Jeremy Grant, they'll sign players. 
But from a jazz standpoint, what this means is that for all the discussion and all the hopes for some people and a fascinatingly interesting discussion about Damian Lillard, actually one of the more interesting kind of team building discussions, I've kind of loved it, would probably do it five more times because I think it's great. The truth of the matter is it's, as of right now, in, quote, complete control of Dame's agents. And that the Jazz probably don't have a decision to make because of that. It's not great. It's frankly understandable if you're their agents. That's what you're supposed to do. For the league, it's not great. I don't think it has great lasting impact on player loyalty. And from a Jazz standpoint, it means, frankly, the discussion of whether you should or shouldn't is a great discussion that should still be having but when it's done, when someone says the Jazz should have, eh, probably couldn't have. And that's my point on it. All ball handlers on deck. Point guards? What are those? Sure sounds to be where the Utah Jazz are heading, and we'll talk about that as we continue here on Locked on Jazz. Plus, a longtime Utah name is heading to the Big D. We'll touch on that as we continue on today's program here on Locked on Jazz. Today's show is brought to you by our friends over at Murdoch Chevy. Murdoch Chevy is located in Woods Cross, also located in Logan. The Chevy trucks, I mean, really, is there anything better? I mean, on July 4th, we're talking Americana and we're talking Chevy trucks. When you're talking about uh, the best made trucks on the market, you're talking about the Silverado and the Colorado those two trucks and great deals available on both of them right now, whether it's the Silverado HD or the Silverado 3500 HD or the Silverado 1500, they're all available with fabulous deals right now. Get your summer truck, the 4th of July, $6,000 off or 1.9 for three years on the 2023 Silverado 1500 LT. Plus the SUV lineup is great from the tracks all the way up to the Tahoe and the Suburbans. The Blazers are right in the middle. And the electric cars, the Bolt has been taking people by storm. Chevy's got the lineup and Murdoch's got the service for you. The No Regrets experience over at Murdoch Chevy in Woods Cross and in Logan. Today's show is also brought to you by the official sports book of Locked On, FanDuel. FanDuel's got great things going for you right now. It's the official sports book of Locked On. Here's what they've got for you. Take your first swing at betting MLB on FanDuel and get 10 times your first bet amount in bonus bets up to $200. That's right, just 20 bucks, and you'll land $200 in bonus bets, win or lose. 200 you can spend betting everything from money line to over-unders to who you think is going to be the first home run on all the apps. That's safe, secure, super easy to use. Plus, when you win, you get paid instantly. Fun from All-Star Game coming up here. There's no better place to bet MLB than FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. So sign up today and visit FanDuel.com slash LockedOn to get $200 in bonus bets. That's FanDuel.com slash LockedOn. FanDuel, official partner of Major League Baseball. Thanks so much for making Locked On Jazz your first listen of the day. Appreciate you. Every dayers, you're the best. The rest of this week, what do we got coming up for you? We'll be talking some more about Summer League, the West moves, and all the latest on Dane. Well, a f- name we know well, former Utah Jazz assistant coach and 
former Ute, Alex Jensen, has a new home. He has become an assistant for the Dallas Mavericks. Um, and, you know, it's interesting about that. I think you might have seen the news. Dante Exum also became a member of the Dallas Mavericks. Dennis Lindsay is heavily involved in their front office, clearly having an impact on how things are taking place there. So Alex Jensen has become an assistant coach for the Jason Kidd and uh, the Dallas Mavericks. So tip of the hat, congratulations to Alex. It's always important to stay on the bus. Uh, Brian Bailey, so the Jazz former assistants that you might have kind of gotten to know, Alex Jensen's now in Dallas. Brian Bailey is now in Atlanta. Um, I don't know if you got to know Sanjay Lampkin, but he is also in Atlanta. Um, Igor is now in Atlanta with Quinn. So you're kind of seeing um, the various pieces of the puzzle that were with the Jazz now into different places as kind of different coaching trees uh, develop. So one of the questions that I asked this week was whether or not the Jazz needed a point guard. Um, There really is a feeling around the Jazz and the way they're playing, both in summer league and also this upcoming season, from everyone I've talked to, that we're, we're not doing the point guard thing. All ball handlers on deck that you are going to have Kelly Linick bring it up. You're going to have Taylor Horton Tucker bring it up. You're going to have Jordan Clarkson bring it up. You're going to, Ochai Abaji tried to bring, was bringing it up early in the game. And that we are moving away, multiple ball handlers, get into your actions quickly, play with tempo. Really, I think the goal is to play with tempo. Don't have it a feeling you have to come back for the basketball to get it to one guy, get the rebound and go and get into your offense quickly and move it and push it ahead and get into a flow. It's interesting. I feel like I'm old on this. I was always a big belief, you know, I, I I broke into the league on, with Sloan in 92, 93 as a reporter. And a lot of that era, and I remember Gordy Chiesa talking to me about this a lot, who's going to get the ball, where they're going to get the ball, when they're going to get the ball, and how they're going to get the ball. You got to know in the NBA who, what, when, where, how. Who's shooting, when they're shooting, where they're shooting, and how they're getting the ball. Who, what, when, where, how. We're really moving away from who, what, when, where, how, which is a little hard for me. I'll be honest. It's a little, like, I think about a few things that I, like, I get the concept. Ron Boone's really big on this, the idea that you get the ball up the floor quickly. You get into your stuff, you're three seconds earlier into your stuff, and you end up with a big advantage. So even if, you're not in a per se transition a transition um, moment. You're still having an impact by playing fast. Okay, I buy that. I also think there's just an element of like, Lowry Markman's our best player. And we got to make sure we know that he gets the ball every now and then. And I'm hesitant when you don't have a point guard organizing and orchestrating of whether or not you always get to that moment. I think it's going to be super interesting. The other one that I would bring out is that 80% of all possessions in the NBA are half court. And the variance from this 
from one game from one team to the other is Dallas is the slowest with Luca. They're the best half court team, so they got in the half court the most. They played 84% of their possessions in the half court, way more than anyone else, actually. 81.7 is like the next closest. And Toronto and Memphis played way faster than everyone else at 76%. Then you get to Charlotte, they're at 78%. So the third team who plays the least amount of half court basketball at 78%. And the 28th ranked team is actually only a 3% difference in possessions, over 100 possessions, 78 versus 81. Like as much as everyone talks about running in this league and getting in transition, there just aren't that many opportunities to do it. There's just a certain limit on it. If you just look at transition, 15% of all possessions were in transition. Memphis, Toronto were 17 plus. Everybody up, the next was at 17%. And Dallas and Houston were the slowest in the 12% and Phoenix with 13%, 13.5. So even here, 17.5 to 13%, there's only a four percentage point difference between those teams that are in the highest amount and low, so four possessions over 100. Now, that matters, like over 100 possessions. If you do it four more times, you might win. It helps you win games. But it's not a massive, massive difference. And so I, I hear everyone wanting to run more, and then I just think that the amount of opportunity actually run. I think it'll also just be interesting to see what it does to players. Like, I feel like players all feel like they're supposed to get into something. We're going to still run plays. We're still going to get into actions. It just may not matter whether it's initiated by Kelly Olenek or Jordan Clarkson or Colin Sexton or Taylor Horton Tucker. Guys are going to know their spots on the floor and they're going to get their actions and their movements. And that does, that's pretty awesome. But it'll be interesting to see whether it stymies anyone along the way. I thought Ochai Abaji in the preseason game or in the summer league game, we'll talk about it in a second, looked at first kind of like he was just thinking and trying to bring the ball up and start the offense and get caught in that. And I thought Keontae was a little bit that way too. So this will be interesting. One of the things a bunch of people have asked me is, where does why, why do I keep not talking about Chris Dunn? So there's probably a few reasons that I'm not talking about Chris Dunn. One is his contract's not guaranteed, right? So the second thing is, I can actually figure out how the Jazz play 48 minutes of basketball at every position without a rookie playing a minute right now. We have a lot of players. The, the second thing is, I'm just not sure. Like, I thought he was great last year, and I'm a fan. And one of my most favorite conversations was with Chris last year. Kind of really, he opened up about his experience. Like, I'm a fan. I'm not always the biggest believer in taking 22 games at the end of a season and using that as a sample size of what I believe. I think if you look around the league, finding the amount of point guards to take one three-point shot a game is really limited. I think that's really hard to build an offense around a non-shooting point guard when you have Walker Kessler as your center. But maybe most importantly, on any of those things, Taylor Horton Tucker, Colin Sexton, Jordan Clarkson, Ochai Abaji, and maybe Keontae George 
Like, who's not playing? See, I think Ochai will slide in and play some three. So you get some minutes there. But if you just do the simple math, there's 96 minutes available at the guard position. 96. So let's walk through it for a second. Jordan Clarkson has averaged over the last few years, if he's on our roster, 33 minutes last year, 27 the year before. Let's go give Jordan 30 minutes, okay? So Jordan's playing 30. Ochai Abaji. We all want to see him play an awful lot. Is Ochai Abaji getting 30 minutes a night? Let's go with Ochai Abaji playing 26 minutes a night. And let's go move. Let's go move 10 of those at the three when marking it maybe slides to the five. So that's 16 minutes at that position. Okay. Colin Sexton. Colin Sexton, one of our primary scorers, one of our better players. Averaged 24 minutes a night when they were being careful with him, 29 the night before. Let's go give Colin Sexton 26 minutes a night. Okay, and now Talon Horton Tucker, who averaged 18 points a game in the final 20 games last year, was in and out of the rotation. Let's give him 20 minutes a night. Okay? So if you do that, 30 and 16 is 46. Sexton and Talon Horton Tucker is 46. I have four remaining minutes available and Keontae George has not played a single minute there. So when I don't mention Chris Dunn, it's not because I'm taking a shot at Chris Dunn, though I do think having a starting point guard that takes one three-point shot a game when you're playing a center who doesn't shoot is super hard. Two non-shooters is hard. And I think Chris Dunn was great last year, or really good, and super story. But I, I don't know where the minutes are coming from. I'm not ignoring Chris Dunn. I Who's not playing? And I'm certain you want Keontae George to play, and I just didn't play him. So now if you're suddenly giving Keontae George 18 minutes a night, well, now Taylor Horton Tucker's now playing six. So Taylor Horton Tucker's out. Keontae George is playing 12 minutes a night, which might be more likely where he is. You're, you're still, the last one is nine, 10 man rotations are hard for NBA coaches. Nine is an easier number. Okay. So Lowry, Collins, Kessler, Alinek with, that's eight. Your ninth guy at some point here is either Keontae George, Taylor Hendricks, or Chris Dunn. Okay. I would guess it's Taylor Hendricks. So I'm not ignoring Chris Dunn. I just don't think there's actually minutes to be had in those circumstances. Summer League, day one impressions as we continue here on Locked on Jazz. Thanks so much for making Locked on Jazz your first listen of the day. For your second listen, Locked on NBA has got a bunch of great stuff going on. Howard Beck sat down with Nick Angstead this week. A lot of other uh, regular programming. Locked on NBA is not going away all summer. 30 minutes every single day for you. A lot of other shows go away. Locked On does not go away for you. Locked On NBA will be there each and every day. Locked On NBA Big Board still going right now as well. So impressions of day one of Summer League. So 
Let me just kind of quickly say this. It's a super small sample size. I'm almost reluctant to actually have any impressions. And I 100% understand why it's what we're all doing because it's all we have. Okay. So let's start with Keontae. The thing I liked the most about Keontae George, more than anything else, was the release of his three-point shot and how easy it looked. And quite honestly, a lot of these, those are the kind of things I'm watching in Summer League. End result, box score line, things like that. It's a weird format of games against non-NBA players. Like, you should always watch when a player starts to have success in the Summer League. Who's he playing against? Who's he playing against? Who's on the floor right now with him while he's doing that? Like, in the Thunder Jazz game, it's a big difference if Ochai Abaji is being guarded by Jalen Williams or if somebody's being guarded by, I don't remember who Thunder's backup point guard was, Maldonado out of Wyoming. Or for our sake, if you're being guarded by Ochai Abaji or Colby Ross, super different. I like Colby Ross. But he's not Ochai Abaji physically. So let's keep an eye on that. Whenever you're talking about a player, who's guarding him? I think that matters. I think that's relevant. Um, the second one on Keontae George is to me, first of all, it looked like he didn't breathe in the first half, right? Like he was, I think, rightfully so, kind of nervous, maybe uptight. Um, There's just a lot going on, trying to do the right thing. He just seemed really, really almost stymied um, and was absent, really. If we're really being totally honest, he was like, he had like 0.0 rebounds, four fouls. Like it was pretty quiet. The then to me, it looked as though he actually just kind of relaxed and played basketball. I don't know what that act and, and, and just played in the fourth quarter. I honestly don't entirely know what that means in regards to like him being able to play on an NBA level in NBA talent. Um, you know, he took scored 18 points and five rebounds and four assists, and he only had one turnover, which is probably good made a few highlight plays, but it's, it's an interesting, like I actually would like to see him play inside the structure, not just play. So I think that's interesting. Um, but let's watch, give him time, you know, and remember Trey young was a disaster in summer league a few years ago, summer league. My rule on summer league is, and Trey young defeats this. First of all, you always, with rookies, you just gotta be a little careful. Just decide there's a lot going on. Second one is like, if someone's in their league in the second or third year, they have to just look way better than everyone else. If they're in their second or third year and they're not way better than everyone else, it's actually problematic. Oklahoma City, Jalen Williams was incredibly different than everybody else on the floor. He's also on the verge of being an NBA All-Star. He's great. I thought it was interesting. Third-year player Trey Mann I thought was better than everybody else on the floor too. That dunk was sick, but he also just was in control of the game, playing really, really well. He should be. He's two-year NBA player. He's been he's been traveling in the NBA and playing for two years. He should be better than everyone else. And if he's not, 
to me, that would have been really problematic. Even someone like Jared Butler should be generally better than everyone else. He's been around the NBA for two years. So, you know, those are that, that's kind of the same. The rookies, duh, let it go. One thing I'm am going to be watching where results matter to me is Lucas Samanich is super interesting to me, uh, non-guaranteed. So if you remember last year, he gets signed by the Jazz. He was the Spurs' 19th pick. He played like seven games with us at the end of the year last year. He only played like 30 games, and he kind of openly said, like, I just didn't deal with that great. So he's 6'10", 227. So that's like Taylor Hendricks' body. And he moves incredibly well. Like, it's great. So you watch him, and you see him out on the floor, and you see him play, and you're like, oh, my. And he's got a little handle to him, so it gets really exciting when you start to consider it. And he seems to be a pretty high-end athlete. And the ball doesn't go in. Like, right now, at the end of the year, it started to, if you remember. He had, like, I think he had three threes against Denver, and then the final night of the year against the Lakers, he goes, like, 0 for 8. His three, he does fall back a tiny bit on it. But if you kind of look at his historical numbers in the limited time with the Spurs and some G League numbers and some other things like that, like his ball doesn't go in a lot. He Everything about him is just, it's a great pickup by the Jazz. It's exactly the way you should use 10 days, exactly the way you should use a non-guaranteed. Like there's everything about him, like that body, the way he runs, the way he moves, NBA skills, yes. But on like this other end of things, when he was with the Spurs and just the simplest level, he went 15 of 51 from three. And last year he went eight of 31 for three for us. Like he just hasn't found a stroke where the ball goes in the basket yet. When he does, oh my. Like that's the one that I'm probably, the player that I'm watching the closest in summer league because I actually think this is the one where the Jazz might really have like an NBA 6'10 rotation player that are hard to find, that they've picked up off the scrap heap really intelligently and with some background knowledge because it was time with the Spurs and got something. But the ball's got to go. All right, that is Locked on Jazz today. We'll be back with you tomorrow. Day two summer league impressions. Ladies in the trade rooms, we'll look around the West and who's gotten better and things of that nature. Thanks very much to the everydayers for joining us. Thanks very much for making Locked on Jazz your first listen. If you're second, listen, go grab Locked on NBA or Mike Richmond with Locked on Blazers. Talk to you soon. Thanks very much for tuning in and see you at Summer League.